Rome didn't collapse in a day either. Much has been written about the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, most famously by Edward Gibbon in his cleverly named magnum opus, The History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. It's six volumes long and thousands of pages, but the main gist is this. Eroding morals, he said, was what did old Rome in, allowing the various Germanic peoples to chip away at the borders. The people stopped believing in the empire and started spending too much time on selfish pursuits like Christianity and sexual perversions. He said... The five marks of the Roman decaying culture. Concern with displaying affluence instead of building wealth. Obsession with sex and perversions of sex. Art becomes freakish and sensationalistic instead of creative and original. Widening disparity between the very rich and the very poor. And increased demand to live off the state. Which sounds like an extremely mixed bag to me and, you know, not familiar to any current circumstances at all. And to be fair, he was talking about actual sex crimes in addition to the fun kind of perversions. This was written in the 18th century, and much of it has been complicated and refuted. Gibbon is now considered more of a pioneer in historiography than for his conclusions, but much of what we now know about the Roman Empire still comes from Gibbon and his sources. So I guess what I'm saying is that we should take all of what follows with a grain of salt. This is a podcast, and I'm not claiming to be a divine arbiter of fact versus fiction. Just someone who wants to spread the good news of trans history. And our subject today just might be the most powerful trans person in the history of the world? Roman Empress Elagabalus, who was what we would call an old-school transsexual. Old-school meaning the 3rd century CE. This is Our Sacred History, a podcast about the forgotten stories of transgender people, a part of the Totally Trans Network. I'm Katie Coleman, and this is the Empress Elagabalus. Like all trans historical figures, Elagabalus is up for much debate. When I read about her for the first time, she was described as a gay man and spoken of as a Caligula figure, a depraved monster who was just another symptom of a collapsing empire that put the personal pleasures of the ruling class above the needs of the people. And that's probably true. Elagabalus was almost definitely not a good ruler, but I'm here to podcast about Elagabalus, not to praise her. In 218 CE, the Roman Empire was 150 to 250 years away from collapse, and the cracks were starting to show. An emperor didn't last long. Elagabalus's cousin, Caracalla, was sole ruler, after having his brother murdered, for only six years. Elagabalus ruled for almost four. It wasn't a stable job, and most people who held the position were murdered, usually by family members. So there's a bit of logic in having the best time possible while you're alive, I suppose. You know, if the people weren't suffering, I mean. Anyway, Elagabalus was placed on the throne by her grandmother, Julia Mysa, one of many women who wielded power behind the throne during the Severan dynasty, as it's called. She orchestrated the overthrow of the previous ruler, Macrinus, had him executed, and placed Elagabalus on the throne. And I know this sounds complicated, and honestly, I can only say it's way more complicated than I'm presenting it here. Elagabalus was 14 years old at the time, and I'm sure in the throes of puberty, and as we now speculate, most likely the wrong puberty. Can you imagine if you were the most powerful person in the world while also having your body turn against you? Yikes. She was also Arab, born in Syria, and from an early age anointed as high priest of the sun god Elagabal. The Latinized name of this god is where we get her name today. In her time, she was known as Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, but is known by her religious title today. There is no evidence to support that this was a dead name, which is the only reason I mention it here. 
This is notable because Rome at this time, which had not yet Christianized, had Jupiter at the head of the Pantheon, and Elagabalus replaced him with her own god, which was represented by a black conical stone, probably a fragment of a meteorite that was housed in Syria and brought to Rome with a lot of pageantry. This was unpopular with the Senate, the guards, and the Roman people alike. As a child, she had been seemingly content in her role as a priest in this religion and was popular for her enthusiasm and dancing. As far as we know, she had no desire for power, but once she had it, she certainly used it to her heart's content. Edward Gibbon wrote, But Elagabalus, I speak of the emperor of that name, corrupted by his youth, his country, and his fortune, abandoned himself to the grossest pleasures with ungoverned fury, and soon found disgust and satiety in the midst of his enjoyments. She was close with her mother and grandmother and allowed them into Senate meetings, the first time women had ever been admitted. They were given official senatorial titles and even appeared on coins, which was a real rarity. She then started getting married. Firstly, to the moon, which, understandable. Then, to Julia Paula, divorced. Then, a vestal virgin, Achilla Severa, someone who is supposed to, you know, remain a virgin. Elagabalus claimed they would produce godlike children, but, well, this didn't happen. The punishment for a vestal virgin having sex was that she was to be buried alive. Julia Misa didn't stand for this and insisted on a divorce. She had Elagabalus married to Anya Faustina, a respectable choice, but Achilla and Elagabalus were soon living together again, and she declared the divorce invalid. They remained together for the rest of Elagabalus' short life. It's unclear if this was against Aquila's riches or not, as the historical record is muddied with enemies and slanders, so we're not sure if there was any feeling between the two of them, or if the symbolism of corrupting the Vestal Virgin was all that was important to Elagabalus. Romantic! Someone she definitely did have romantic feelings for, however, was her chariot driver, Hierocles. It seems that this was when she started using feminine language for herself and declaring that Hierocles was her husband, and that he had all the authority of the emperor. The idea that the ruler of Rome was having sex with, or even in a long-term relationship with a man, was nothing new or shocking. But investing this man with authority was considered bad taste, and the idea of the ruler taking the feminine role was unspeakable. Once again, it was femininity, not sexuality, that angered the rulers behind the scenes. Elagabalus was unconcerned, and now frequently dressed in women's clothes, and was known to engage in full-service sex work at the brothels. And I'm just struck by how much she must have charged for that. Senators coming home, bragging to each other about getting a BJ from the Empress of Rome? Truly the Nancy Reagan of the 3rd century. Listen, I never said this was a classy podcast. Classic racism from Gibbon... The master of the Roman world affected to copy the dress and manners of the female sex, preferred the distaff to the scepter. His head was covered with a lofty tiara. His numerous collars and bracelets were adorned with gems of an inestimable value. His eyebrows were tinged with black, and his cheeks painted with an artificial red and white. The grave senators confessed with a sigh that after having long experienced the stern tyranny of their own countrymen, Rome was at length humbled beneath the effeminate luxury of Asian despotism. And this wasn't unheard of in Rome. As I said earlier, homosexuality was accepted as a dalliance and even a pastime, but the war on trans feminine people was at this point well established. I'm unaware of the history of transmasculine people in this particular era, although I'm sure they existed. In the future, I'll do some research and find some Roman trans men to celebrate. 
Almost 400 years previous, in 186 BCE, the Senate attempted to reform the Bacchanalia, the festivals for the god Bacchus, or Dionysus, the god of wine and revelry. Little is known about what really happened at these events, as most of the record comes from hundreds of years later and includes a moralizing tone. They were, however, likely sexual and explicitly queer in nature. Dionysus was a god somewhere between male and female, and the followers of such a god followed suit. The Roman historian Livy, clutching his pearls, wrote, A great number of adherents are women, which is the whole origin of the trouble. But there are also men like women, who have joined in their defilement. Do you think, citizens, that men who have taken this oath can be made soldiers? So, once again, it was femininity that was considered intolerable because Rome was a warrior state, and what use would these trans women be at that? But as Empress, Elagabalus certainly didn't seem to care what anyone, especially the Senate, thought. It's certainly possible that she could have prolonged her reign, not to mention her life, if she had been a bit more circumspect, but she was 18 years old and honestly, good for her. It was at this point that she stopped any pretense, claiming herself Empress. Hierocles and another man named Zodocus were her husbands, and best of all, she even offered a large bounty for anyone in the empire who could perform a vaginoplasty. This makes her one of the very first people on record to seek bottom surgery, like, at all. That in itself is very notable. The fact that she was maybe the most powerful person in the world at the time just makes me wonder, why didn't anyone do it? There had to have been no shortage of charlatan doctors and mystics willing to try. Is this something that's just lost to history? These affronts, the pursuit of the feminine, couldn't stand for long, and soon Grandma had to step in. Julia Misa insisted Elagabalus promote her 15-year-old cousin, Severus Alexander, to be official heir and Kaiser, basically making him co-emperor. This was common at the time, but always ended in disaster. Elagabalus chafed at this and tried to devise several attempts on his life, none of which were successful. Alexander was much more popular than his cousin, with the Praetorian Guard siding with him over the Empress. Eventually, Elagabalus got the idea to start a rumor that Alexander was dying, or even already dead. This backfired on her, as the guard then demanded to see the boy's body. They stormed in and murdered Elagabalus and her mother, decapitating them and throwing their bodies in the Tiber River, considered a massive insult. Being murdered by the guards is a long tradition in ancient Rome, and Alexander would suffer the same fate, even also in the company of his own mother, 13 years later, which was a long rule for this period, actually. Elagabalus is largely forgotten in the history of Rome, and is usually included as a footnote, an example of the hedonism of the Third Era of Rome. But we can see her as someone else. Not a good person, and definitely not an aspirational one, but there's something really wonderful about having enough power to be yourself at such an age. There were certainly many trans people in ancient Rome unable to put words to their struggle, much less act on them. Virginia Woolf famously said that for a woman to write fiction, she must have money and a room of one's own. It seems the same was true in order to be publicly trans in the ancient world. When you achieve a certain level of power, there's no longer any point in pretending to be something you're not. And for four years, she achieved it. She lived her life honestly. Probably not well and certainly causing others pain, but it's hard not to admire her at least a little bit. By the fortune of her birth, she was in a unique position to escape the tyranny of the ancient closet. Of course, now she's considered an early example of an out trans woman in the Western world, and that's only very recently. Like many of the stories we'll share in this podcast, for centuries she was forgotten, her life full of eccentricities and written off as a peculiar form of homosexuality, the galpalization of the historic record. But now it's quite clear she was a trans feminine person and an important link 
a royal one, in our sacred history. Thanks for listening. I'm Katie Coleman. As always, I've included a list of sources in the show notes, but they are not formatted in any particular style because I'm not in college anymore and I'm tired. If you want to reach out to me for any reason, you can find me on Twitter at Katie of the Lake or email me at totallytransha at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, we've always been here. And most importantly, we always will be. This is our pilot season. For four weeks, we've got new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And if y'all like it, we'll make it a permanent addition. Coming up on Monday, you've got another Totally Trans mini-sode with Henry. Then on Wednesday, Ada Rhodes and Jack talk comics on transmissions from another Earth. And next Friday, I'll be back again with another short story from our sacred history. We really appreciate your support as we grow this podcast network and hope to create and foster the community we have here. You can support us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Podcast Addict, or whichever apps are doing reviews these days. You can also support us on patreon.com slash totally trans, where you can access to early episodes early, where you get access to episodes early, bonus episodes once a month, and an invite to our Discord, which is not turning into the party hangout we had hoped, but you can change that very soon. We also have great shirts and other merch at both TeePublic and Redbubble. Also, if you are interested in sponsoring us, let us know because we would love to work with queer and trans creators and not just sell you mattresses and meal kits. Trans creators like DirtyCuppy.com Quality Queerwear is a trans-owned and operated family apparel and accessories business in Portland, Oregon. As their name implies, they can drape you in affordable, gender-affirming fashion from head to toe and even offer a selection of home goods besides. So... Whether you're in the market for a dapper button-down or a dress with pockets, Nerdy Cuppy will literally have you covered. You can get 10% off your order at checkout with the discount code TOTALLYTRANS. So remember, visit nerdycuppy.com. That's N-E-R-D-Y-K-E-P-P-I-E dot com. Or use the easier to remember, it has pockets dot gay. And use discount code TOTALLYTRANS for 10% off at checkout, and thanks again for listening. So we have a new patron this week at the $5 or more level. So first, today, we would like to thank Elsie Astro. Who is the magical Lisa Frank space knight of our dreams. We also have benefits for being a subscriber to our Patreon and some cool-ass t-shirts on our Redbubble and Public store. So yeah, you could check those out. Get get some cool shirts and stuff. Like our our X-Men and our uh, maybe you should do this part. <laughs> You're I'm doing so great. <laughs> yeah, we have our X-Men shirt, our Cooper Donuts Riot shirt, which if you listened to last week's episode of Our Sacred History, you will know a bit more about. Uh we have a bunch of great designs. We're moving everything over. We've moved everything over to Redbubble from C- T Public. So check out there for new designs. The tea public's probably just going to stay up for a while, but we're not going to add new things to it. Also, if you back us up $5 or more a month, you can access the new Patreon Discord, which is a great place to join the conversation about the comics we'll be reading and ask your questions. Also, you can contact us on the Twitter using hashtag TFAQ. And hey, uh, if you're interested in sponsoring us, uh, you should let us know because we would love to work with some some queer and trans creators and not just like sell mattresses and meal kits and stuff.
Uh, yeah, I would really hate to find out that one of our ads is for like, I don't know, a fucking knife missile from some weird military oh, company we, at some point. We can't make so, jokes yeah. with a knife missile. Robert Evans will sue us. <laughs> oh, sorry. 